Hey everyone, and welcome to What in the Bible? Today we are going to be in 2 Kings chapter 13. Now the books of Kings, 1st and 2nd Kings, recount the story of the, the stories of the kings of Israel and Judah. Now, whenever they're recounting a, the story of a king, it typically begins with the year that they began their reign, who they were the son of, where they're the king of, and whether or not they did evil or good in the eyes of the Lord, and then the repercussions that follow their actions. So 2 Kings chapter 13 starts with Jehoaz. He's the king of Israel, not a good dude. Okay, He does evil in the eyes of the Lord. So it says the Lord um, was upset, and he kept them under the power of Haziel, king of Aram, and Ben-Hadid, his son. Now, Haziel and Ben-Hadid, historically are some bad dudes. They are serious warriors. They do not take this lightly. They are there to conquer and take over and crush those in their way. So much so, we see a bit, a bit of this history, um, therefore, um, because Jehoaz is like, I messed up. So he says, God, I'm sorry. And God says, okay, you, you guys can stop being oppressed by the king of Aram. So the Lord provides a deliverer. and doesn't tell us who. And Israel is able to escape the power of Aram. That's in verse 5. But it says the Israelites lived in their own homes as they had before. So that tells us that they were living as refugees. They had escaped their homes. It, the king of Aram ha was causing so much destruction that people were no longer in their homes. So you think they would all be like, thank you, God. I'm going back to doing good. No, they did not. They went back to worshiping their old idols. Okay. Now, the king of Aram wiped out Jehoaz's army. So verse 7, it tells us nothing had been left of the army except 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. 10,000 men still sounds like a lot to me, but that also tells you how large it must have been if it says it was wiped out. Okay. Um, so he dies, and then his son, um, Jehoash, becomes king. And he was not the greatest also. So he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so then he also tried to go to war against the king in Judah. So it goes on and on about this. But there's a little story in the middle because Elisha is the prophet at the time. So Elisha's about to die. And Jehoash realizes he's about to miss his moment. So he, he goes to the prophet. And so Elisha and the king go through this whole prophetic movement, a move, like a motion, sorry, whole prophetic motion. And the king just blows it. And Elisha's annoyed with him. He's like, you could have done so much better, right? And so... It, uh, we'll start with verse 19. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will only defeat them three times. Verse 20 is where we really start. Elisha died and was buried. Now Moabite writers, ra sorry, raiders used to enter the country every spring. Now Aram is in the north, like Damascus, Syria, that area. Okay. So they're coming from the north to oppress Israel. The Moabites, Moab, is going to be 
further south. So they're coming from the south. So you see the Israel is getting scrunched in between these. And it's saying that Moabite raiders are coming. So basically bandits are coming to see what they can take advantage of. So it doesn't necessarily mean the kingdom of Moab is pressing in on them, but it means there's lawlessness, right? Nobody is even there to stop these raiders. So things are not good. So verse 21, once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. Okay, pause. Was it a graveyard? So it, and just everybody was buried there. That seems a little weird because Elisha was a prophet and he was very prominent, right? He was very famous, very important to the land of Israel. Uh, some theologians say that he was buried in a sepulcher, but they would have had to be pushing the stone away. And it sounds like they were in a hurry to bury their buddy. So there are different types of tombs that could have been going on. It could have just been a cave tomb. So they could have just been walked in and threw him in. It could have been a shaft tombs. They literally burrow down, bore down a shaft into the ground, and then they cut out these tombs. Okay? Could have been one of those, or it could have just been a pit tomb, which is exactly how it sounds. They dig a pit, and they throw them in. There are other types of tombs, but those are the most logical explanations of what kind of tomb he could have been in. And presumably, since he was an important man, he was probably going through the two-step burial process. So what would happen is you would bury the body in one place so that the flesh could decompose off the bones, right? And then that takes a year or two. And then once the bones are clean, then you gather the bones and then you go bury it in its right spot. And later years, we'll get it where... Um, You'll, you'll have them in, in the ossuaries, you know, the boxes that hold the bones. But this is also where you get the phrase where they gathered his bones unto his father, right? So everybody is a happy family and all their bones are thrown together. So there is a little bit of your gruesome lesson of history for the day on that. So they throw them in and it says when the man touched the bones of Elijah, that he jumped up onto his feet. He was no longer dead. He, he's good to go. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood on his feet. Verse 22, Haziel, king of Aram, oppressed Israel throughout the reign of Jehoaz. Wait, what? This is my what in the Bible moment. Right? So, History, history, history. A little bit of a story about a king who jacks up his opportunity to have a really an amazing prophetic moment. Elisha dies. Really random story about a man being resurrected. History, history, history. But I have so many questions. They, they just left their buddy. They're, well, they thought they were really being the body, but they left their buddy. So... It, did he call out to him? Was he disoriented? Did he know what happened? Did the raiders see what happened? Did the raiders take him? Did they kidnap him? Were the raiders freaked out and totally ran away? Or was this something that 
God was able to use when this guy came back home and he was like, I was dead and I touched the bones of Elisha and now I'm alive. God is still with us. And maybe they would turn back. I don't know. It doesn't say. And that frustrates me. Don't you ever wonder why you have chapters like this where it's history, 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 this really cool story that's only about two verses, history, history, history. Or a lot of times we see it with genealogy, 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 really boring, really boring. Wait, what? You said what? No context. Da -da -da -da. Why do you, why do you think it happens? I, I don't know. Is God trying to see if we're paying attention? Well, literally, I, it confounds me. But, so that is our what in the Bible moment of the day. The best story ever. These dudes are trying to bury their buddy in a hurry so that the bad guys don't catch him and kidnap him and beat him. And they throw him on the bones of the prophet and the dude comes to life. And that's all they tell us. All right. If you guys have any questions or comments, please, please feel free to leave them. If you want to hear your what in the Bible verse or story, shoot me an email at thearchaeologynerd at gmail.com. Have a great day, guys. Bye.